Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring Front Page 305. Lala Hearns with the Miami Dolphins. Shout out to Slam Radio. All right, I think all the levels are set. Showtime. Now. You're listening to Front Page 305, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Welcome to Miami. <laughs> I am here, Wavi. Can you hear me? Unbelievable. That's great news. Great to hear your voice. Manny is the OG of this radio show. When it was a podcast, all his idea, he's to credit or to blame, depending on how you look at it. But uh, Navarro, this is my favorite time of year. Big football fan. Um, and this is the time of the year when the Miami Hurricanes are undefeated. I mean, everything is great. Uh, nobody's whooped us. And that, I guess, by the end of the first quarter on September 4th in the opener, We'll be down, what, 21 nothing, 28 nothing. What's going to be the score against Mighty Alabama just in the first Ooh. quarter? Yeah, I don't, I don't know, uh, Walby. I mean, look, I, uh, I want to be optimistic for Miami fans, right? I want to be Calvin Harris and tell you they're going to go 15-0. and 0, But, um, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't live in that world. When I grow up, I hope I can be just like uh, Calvin Harris and just Mr. Positive all the time. But, um, no, I, I think uh, I think they're in trouble just because Alabama's got a big, nasty offensive line and they got a big defensive front. And you know, Nick Saban, you know, he's he's pretty good at his job. Last I checked, so you know, um, and I still I still can't get that image of uh, North Carolina's running backs, um, you know, digging their spikes into the backs of UM's defensive players as they run to the end zone. So um, I think I think Miami's run defense still needs work, and so I think. Uh, I think the Canes are facing a 19-and-a-half-point favorite, and I, and I kind of think it's going to be somewhere around that. Those two running backs, uh, one of them is playing now for the Mighty New York Jets, uh, Michael Carter, the other one that got drafted. So they're gone from North Carolina. So that means uh, Howell will throw for, what, five, 600 yards against the Hurricanes this year, I guess. That's what's going to happen. Uh, wait, right. wait a second. We're supposed to be optimistic. This is a preseason. I don't expect the Hurricanes to beat Alabama. Of course not. Uh, I'm focused on – the rest of the season and, you know, winning the, at least we're back to divisions is you're winning the coastal division. That's the expectation. That's the minimum requirement of this great hurricane program. And I say great, meaning the tradition, not necessarily what they've been the last, what, 15 years, the tradition is great. And we'll see, we'll see where they end up. Do you have any, not necessarily win loss, Manny, but like bold predictions in terms of um, a player who's going to emerge this year, uh, anything that you thought of that's, you know, sort of uh, not just they're going to finish eight and four or whatever, but give me, give me a bold prediction or two on, on a player that you think might break out, for example. Well, I think uh, uh, Dezela Morsham, the same guy you picked last year to lead the team in receiving. <laughs> I think he's going to be the guy that breaks out, even though we've heard absolutely next to nothing about him. Oh, you're breaking my heart. I thought you were for, you're for real. You're going to say he's going to do something. Is he still on the roster? He's still on the roster. He's, he's only there because you said he was going to break out, and Manny Diaz heard the show, and he said, wait a minute, this Walby guy knows football. I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to leave him on the roster just in case. I'm praying that no, kid he, does something so I could just laugh in your face. I mean, that kid, I mean, you know, even if it's 50-year senior and he, and, he, and he makes a reception, I think I'm going to celebrate without question. All right, uh, now yeah. that you've taunted me, what about a real uh, bold prediction, uh, Small Dependence? <laughs> what do you got? Well, Keyshawn Smith uh, is, is, the, is the name to know, Walvi. I mean, I know everybody's excited about Charleston Rambo, the kid who they got from Oklahoma, and for good reason. But usually in college football, the best teams have two really good cornerbacks, right? They have two guys that can cover on the outside because they recruit well. 
Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson, they've got seven. But, you know, most teams only have two. Keyshawn Smith is that number three receiver who you've really got to watch out for. He's embarrassed guys in camp that are older than him. He's only in his second year. He's a steal. Mike Leach recruited him, so you know he's good. Uh, Mike Leach had him going to Washington State, uh, three-star kid out of San Diego. And he basically, when Mike Leach left for the SEC, decided, no, you know what, screw that. I'm going to go back in the, in the portal. And Miami, uh, credit to Stephen Fields, former Miami Northwestern coach, who's the tight ends coach at Miami. He, uh, he was out on the West Coast before working for Mario Cristobal at Oregon. And he knew, he knew about this kid. And the moment he became available, Miami went out and grabbed him. Last year, he didn't play a whole lot. Obviously, COVID, I think, affected everybody's sort of development. But this year, he is the secret weapon in camp. He is the guy who I think is going to be the breakout star for the Hurricanes. Yep. I mean, not so secret to Hurricanes fans in the know like myself. I definitely like everything I've right. seen out of that young man. Uh, deep, uh, deep threat. He's had very little um, play. You know, they haven't given much run, but when he has had opportunities, he's looked good. Now let's see him, you know, extrapolate that into the actual season. But yeah, I, I like that pick. Of course, they've got Harley and, and, and Rambo are the two sort of uh, established guys in the receiving core. What about uh, a question? Uh, one of my buddies, Bill Whitehead, big uh, Hurricanes fan. He wants to know, Manny, about the linebackers. What's going on at LB for this uh, this Hurricane team? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I don't have any great news for you, Walter. I wish I did. I wish I told you Ray Lewis still had some eligibility <laughs> or uh, maybe you could bring Michael Barrow back, you know, the, the old crew. But, uh, you know, Manny Diaz decided uh, they had somebody in the portal who they really liked. Um, and, you know, he's a kid out of Texas. He ended up going to Tennessee because Manny Diaz didn't want to take him. He said, no, I'm going to roll with the guys that I've got mm. um, because the kid want, wanted to go pro after this year. Manny Diaz wanted a guy for two years. So, wow. so anyway. So, okay, now I am learning back. something about it. I didn't know this. All right, keep going. Yeah, well, you got to listen to my show more often. Um, well, or, or have you on this one. That's, what I, that's my strategy, but go ahead. There you go. Uh, so he uh, – he basically decided to stick with his crew and he moved Keontra Smith, a kid out of Chaminade, um, who I wrote about a couple of years ago when they, Miami first got him, who, uh, you know, he's really a safety, uh, but they but they moved him into the box, had him playing striker. Now they move him to weak side linebacker. He's now 5'11", 215 pounds. Um, not your ideal weight uh, to go up against Alabama's 350 pounders, but certainly fast enough sure-handed enough that if you play him in the box, he's going to make tackles for you. So I think the good news is they found somebody who can tackle. The problem is they haven't been able to clone him yet. And so the problem is, you know, they just don't have the depth and he's light. And so, um, you know, you're going to still see the same old guys that you saw last year that, that had the tire tire marks on them uh, following the North Carolina game. You're going to see a Bradley Jennings Jr. You're, you're going to see a, a Wayman Steed, um, you know, and, and the other problem is, Guys like Avery Huff, okay, these four-star recruits that everybody's all excited about, uh, they, I didn't see them once in the first or second team taking reps in practice. So, mm. you know, these guys these guys haven't developed the way that they should. Now, Corey Flagg Jr., a kid out of Texas they got, who yeah, you know, like kind of slow-footed, slow-footed. Uh, he, he's back. He's healthier. Manny Diaz swears that him and Keontra Smith are going to be really, really good players. I got to see it, Walt V. I think the most important thing here is, Miami's got four veteran defensive tackles back. Um, guys that played and, and were pretty good, including Nessa Silvera, 
So I think as far as the front, you know, the front and stopping the run is concerned, you're going to have some decent to good defensive tackles. My issue is what happens when, you know, those holes open up. Can you, do you have a guy that's going to wrap up and make the tackle? That's yet to be seen. I do like the, the smaller linebacker, just the speed. Uh, we'll see if they do get run over or not. And again, I'm not even just thinking Alabama. I'm looking at the season as a whole uh, because we're, uh-huh. you know, the Hurricanes supposed to lose that game. Um, but, you know, I do like when the Hurricanes were great, it was based on speed. So, I, you know, that whole theory of taking that big safety, making a linebacker, taking that big linebacker, making him a DN and just being faster and, and, and running around those 300 pounders. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I do like that in theory, um, but we'll see how it, how it plays out. Um, you know, at, at corner in our remaining moments, uh, Manny, cause we started late in this, we're almost out of time. Um, well, let, let's, let's, let's switch gears here. Just a quick second, instead of running down the hurricanes position by position, there's been so many big things happening in college football. Let me get your quick take on, the, the NILs, as they call it, uh, name, image, and likeness, how is that affecting the Hurricanes? Seems like the Hurricanes are ahead of the curve on that. Is that going to be a good thing for Miami and getting recruiting and re- recruits in here? Well, I, I think here's the thing people need to understand about NIL. Um, you can't technically offer any money, just like supposedly before you couldn't offer recruits any money. Supposedly, you still except, can't do yes, it. except in the SEC. Go ahead. Right. You, you still technically can't do it. So what Miami's tried to do uh, with the help of some of its boosters who have normally given a lot of money to the school is now they're giving it directly to the players on the team, right? Dan, uh, Dan Lambert, who owns a bunch of gyms, MMA gyms here in South Florida, uh, actually all over the world, um, multimillionaire, gives money to the university. Now he's decided, you know what, I'm going to create a, a, an 85-man um paycheck where everybody gets 500 bucks a a month all the scholarship players so you know that's an attractive deal uh for every single player on the roster all they've got to do is basically uh promote his gyms on social media Uh, other schools have done the same florida state has copied miami and, and tried to go out and do the same type of thing um so you know i mean i think from everybody getting a little bit of love angle that's that's good but for the most part Walby, it's the stars it's the Eric king it's bubba bolden it's the guys who have an nfl future or are stars in college like the eric will be and and so they're getting all the money and i think that's the case across the country you know speaking of uh gyms when are we gonna get manny navarro into a gym i mean you work for the athletic i mean you are athletic let's go man let's go let's uh what, what's what's going on with uh what's going on with your fitness program well, my fitness program is uh, about as dormant as, as Miami's championship vault. It's been closed for about 20 years, and so we're waiting for it to reopen and get back into championship shape. I'm hoping, Walby, once we beat this COVID thing, that I'll get back in a gym and uh, regularly work out and get myself down to my playing weight of about 301, uh, and then we'll be, we'll be fine. There you go. And I, I'm here for you, man. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm doing my green shakes, got myself at the fighting shape. And, uh, and I offer my, uh, my uh, coaching uh, attributes to you at any time. But uh, Navarro, I think we're out of time. Uh, we do have coming up in the third segment, uh, the, the other uh, of, the, uh, of the Amigos, uh, Andre Fernandez, now, uh, now Tallahassee. He's Tallahassee Andre now. We're going to talk to him. Excited about that? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, 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 I want to tune in and listen to that. Let me, let me know uh, how much he talks about Florida State uh, and the Marlins. Those are the two, it, two subjects I'm most interested in, especially the Marlins, because they're just, I mean, have you, have you seen the, 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 the uh, gigantic winning machine Derek Jeter and company have built on there? They're unbelievable. Well, you talk about my bad predictions. I did say that was a fraud last year when they made the playoffs with a 31 and 29 record. Now they're back in last place where they're, you know, they, they, that's where they recognize, you know, they're very comfortable in last place, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk to uh, Dr. Dre here. Navarro, I'll let you go. I know you got another radio appearance. Thanks for, uh, thanks for visiting with us here on front page 305, bro. Thanks for having me on Wolvie. Whenever you need me, give me a ring. All right. We'll be right back with Ed Kaplan right after this. Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. This is Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Lala Hearns with the Miami Dolphins. Shout out to Slam Radio. We'll be back with Front Page 305 on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good, man. I played that song right there uh, in your honor, in my honor, you know, men of a certain age. That song is called... Mayores, and it's about this lady who says she likes older men. <laughs> well, she certainly got an older one here. <laughs> she's, come, she's come to the right place in this segment for sure. Uh, yeah, I would say. Well, you may have to move to geriatrics for me. <laughs> Eddie, uh, it's a great song. You should look, you look into it. I'll send you the translation into English. But, uh, uh Eddie, for people that might not know, in fact, I've known you for a lot of years, uh, but I don't know the entire backstory. Just in a couple of minutes, I know it's we can go on for a lot longer, but just briefly, where were you born? And I know you were a lawyer. How did you go from lawyer to sports talk radio? Uh-huh. Well, I am I'm originally from New York City, uh, although I grew up in a suburb of New York, White Plains, New York. Okay. And... Um, I, from the time I was small, I mean, I was just a, a fanatical sports fan. Um, I actually have somewhere <laughs> stowed away uh, like little three-by-five cards where I would keep score of baseball games in the 50s, and they would end about the third or the fourth inning because I had to go to bed. My mother would send me to bed. <laughs> so <laughs> they were, they were kind of crude or whatever, but... Uh, I always wanted to be in, you know, in sports. I wasn't good enough, you know, to play for the, well, in those days, I guess the Dodgers or the Giants and, uh, you know, or basketball for the Knicks. It wasn't much of a hockey player. Um, but the next best thing to me was, you know, trying to, to get into sports. And when I, went, when I went off to college in Ohio at a little school called Oberlin College, the first thing I did, the first day I was there, or the second day I went down to the you know, college radio station to see if I could, you know, get a get some type of experience on the radio. And the first thing I, they actually had me do was be a, a DJ for classical music. So I didn't really get much of an opportunity to talk because those the symphonies would go for a long, long time. But I did do play by play for uh, for in, at Oberlin for uh, basketball and football and a little soccer. And, uh, and then I ended up in law school uh, in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan. And my hopes for being a broadcaster kind of ended around that time. Um, so I practiced law for 15 years, four years up in, in Michigan, 11 years in uh, Miami. And to be honest, I just, 
I didn't really dislike the law. I had a successful practice, and uh, I just was wanted to do something better. And uh, at the time, I had been uh, divorced a couple of years, and I thought if there was ever a time for me to kind of make a change, this, you know, I didn't have any real responsibilities. I didn't have any children. And uh, so I just retired from the law, turned my practice over to another attorney. Um, I actually went out to Las Vegas for a while to bet on baseball in the summer of 1984. And then when I got back, uh, I was like <laughs> in the wrong place all the time. But a, a friend of mine who worked for a client of mine, a former client, when I was practicing law, he said uh, he had done some sports broadcasting in Chicago. And, and he said, you want to get on the air, you know, we can buy time which I never really knew anything about. And that's how I started. I, I actually bought time um, on the old WGBS and, I, and, I, and a couple of other stations along the way. And I hosted a Sunday night show, a talk show. They didn't have Sunday night football back then. And so I, I did a show called the Sunday Evening Quarterback Club from 8 to 10 p.m. after the, the West Coast games were done. And, and then from there, I just kind of continued and... Uh, Ended up at QAM in 1986, uh, where I bought time to start. That was uh, two years before the heat started, and and I picked a late night slot because I didn't want to be competing with the games. You know, I, if I was a, f- a listener, I would <laughs> I wouldn't be listening to talk radio at seven or eight o'clock at night, but I might at ten o'clock or eleven o'clock to get the late scores and right. talk about and that's what one happened. Thing I remember. Eddie, where yeah. you were, you were, you were on until the last West Coast score was on. Um, I wanted to follow up. It's interesting because I didn't, I, didn't, I thought maybe you're from New York, but it's very similar to my upbringing. I was, I was born in New York City, Manhattan, but was raised in Miami. And the same thing, I, I had that realization. I wanted to be a basketball player, and I had a realization that I wasn't tall enough, didn't jump high enough, and wasn't going to be good enough. And how do I stay close to sports and and I took a journalism course in 10th grade in Miami High, and, and that's when I knew what I wanted to do. So it's pretty pretty similar. I wanted to follow up, Eddie, on um, before we get to other stuff, but were you a prosecutor or were you a defense attorney? Oh, well, when I started out, um, I started out in a, in a small town uh, called Baldwin, Michigan. It's in Lake County, Michigan. It's about an hour north of Grand Rapids uh, on M37, between Grand Rapids to the south and Traverse City to the north. A friend of mine that I knew from Ann Arbor um, was from that town, and he was the prosecutor. And I went up there and actually was like a justice of the peace. They called me a magistrate And while I was studying for the Michigan bar exam. And uh, he retired. He actually retired to go bet horses at, at Hialeah. <laughs> and, and so there weren't too many lawyers around. And uh, I'd only been practicing maybe a year and a half or something like that. And they needed a vacancy, so they, I was appointed as the prosecutor. And, um, and then I got reelected, and I did that for about three years. It was a one-man office. I tried everything from murder cases to running a stop sign and conservation wow. violations and stuff like that. And um, the only thing is, I, <laughs> I didn't care much. Even when I was a kid in New York, I didn't care much for cold weather. It was a little worse in Ohio, and it was a lot worse in Michigan. And I used to wake up in the morning before I went to the courthouse where my office was, 
and I'd have the Good Morning America on or the Today Show. And the very bottom of the state of Florida in the wintertime was always dark orange. It was the warmest place in the continental United States. And mm-hmm. I said, I'm, go- I'm going there. <laughs> and and that's, that's when I moved down to, to Miami. But I was a prosecutor uh, for three years uh, in Lake County, Michigan. Did you, what was, uh, just real quick, quick, what was the proudest? If, is there one case that, that you're like, well, that was a, that was really, I did something good. Or, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot, but there's one that stands out. Oh, I don't know. There was, uh, you know, the, the one thing I would say, I don't know if there was one particular case that, that stands out. I mean, I, I had one murder trial that resulted in a conviction, uh, for first degree murder, but actually, I had offered the defendant a plea deal. It was sort of a, a shooting out of an act of passion, and uh, I really didn't think that he deserved. In, in Michigan, if you're convicted of first-degree murder, you go to prison, um, no parole, unless the governor pardons you. And I think the the defendant in this case actually went to prison. And I remember um, when the jury came back with first-degree murder, and they had all sorts of... I'd given him a change of venue. We actually held, held the trial in Big Rapids, Michigan, where Ferris State University is. And when the TV reporters and stuff, I didn't even want to talk to them. Everybody was patting me on the back, and and I felt terrible. <laughs> I mean, the elements of first-degree murder were there, but, you know, I thought that if he had made counsel or something. Um, but in general, the one thing I will say about being a prosecutor, as opposed to uh, being a civil litigator when I came to Miami, uh, for the last 11 years of my 15-year legal career, um, you had a feeling just in general that you could help people um, that really – most most people don't navigate the legal system very well. I've been on jury duty a few times, and, you know, most of the people there, they're intimidated. They don't know what's going on. A lot of people are not fluent in English, and um, and for citizens, it's the same thing. And so if people had a complaint or whatever – it was a small county. I would talk to anybody who you know came into the office, or um, and and I had a feeling, even though I had some some also very good results as a civil litigator, I actually preferred the being a criminal prosecutor. And by the way, I, because the county was so small, I also did civil civil work as well. You know, I did a lot of probate and whatever because the, the county and the caseload was for either the civil or the the criminal was small. At one point, I was the only attorney in the county, <laughs> literally. Wow. And so, but I, I did enjoy that because uh, you were able to help people that really didn't have any place to turn, didn't have a lot of money to hire attorneys if they had a, a problem. And if it was criminal or quasi-criminal, uh, I, I kind of enjoyed that. Well, and, and it just shows why you were such a success on radio here, because <laughs> You're more intellectual, even though I'm sure you, you, I'm guessing you probably wouldn't want to be referred to, to that as that, but you're more intellectual than most of the people hosting radio shows. And, and I think people, um, you know, just, gra- you know, you can tell when somebody's intelligent and gravitate towards you and, and that. I, I wanted to ask you too, also, Eddie, as I know you gambling, you mentioned you had gone out of Vegas. So that's something that a subject that is near and dear to you, I'm pretty sure. Um during the pandemic last year, in the early days of the pandemic, was nothing was going on. How did, whether you or, you know, people that are gamblers, like that's all they do, how was that? You know, what do you think of that whole that whole era in sports life when nothing was going on? Well, to be honest with you, um, well, first of all, there was something going on. 
Um, there were uh, several states, um, maybe not the major states like New York or California or whatever, but they did have thoroughbred racing in several states. Ah. Okay. And uh, I was able to watch those and, and wager on some races online. Um, the funny thing about the pandemic, it's interesting you raised that, uh, for someone who was a sports fanatic from the earliest days I remember anything, um, you know, and, and, and spent 25 years, you know, living a dream, you know, getting paid to watch games and talk about it and mm-hmm. <laughs> all the rest. Um, when the pandemic hit, I remember watching... I had an interest in this game. It was a it was a season bet, uh, an over under on uh, on wins or losses by the New Orleans Pelicans, and they were playing Utah the night that the league stopped. And I remember turning it on to watch the game. <laughs> I think that year I was against the Pelicans, and uh, that was yeah 2020, I guess, and the. Uh, the announcers didn't know what was going on. You know, they, the teams had warmed up or whatever, and they went back to the locker room and they didn't come out. But anyway, that's the day that it stopped, and I can't explain why, but it didn't bother me at all. I didn't care. Hmm. I didn't care that there were no games to wager on or watch or follow. Um, it didn't seem that important. Uh, the pandemic just kind of overshadowed everything, and yeah. I, I, it really didn't bother me at all. Um, when they resumed, I was sort of happy. I had something else to, to pay attention to. Um, but I, it, 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 even when they resumed, it wasn't like I was ecstatic about it. I, I didn't really care one way or the other. I was more concerned about what was happening in the country. And, uh, yes. and I found other things to do. You know, I, I do a lot of reading. Um, I binged some TV series that I had never seen before. Game of Thrones was one of them. <laughs> it was kind of fun. And, uh, so yeah. it didn't really make that much difference. Uh, and I did have the horse racing from time to time, although these tracks were not exactly racetracks that I was that familiar with. Gotcha. Eddie, uh, one last question. I'll get you out of here on this, and thanks again for, for doing this. I know we could talk for several segments because uh, uh, we both like to talk, and, and I find you know your story very compelling. But um, just kind of a, a, a gambling-type question, um, you know, I guess I'm wondering Pete Rose, which I, I guess my stance I'll lay it out there. I don't think he should be, you know, banned from baseball. I mean, he should be in the Hall of Fame as a player because he was a Hall of Fame player. There was never steroids. There was any doubt of his. And then if you're going to ban him as a manager or whatever, then that's fine. That's my view. But my question is now, before you wouldn't have a team, a pro team in Las Vegas or major league, now you have NFL, you have NHL, you have, um, you know, they're talking about the odds on TV. Sports are now in bed with gambling in, in a sense. Uh, what do you think Pete Rose thinks about this? Or what do you think about uh, what's happened in terms of, of you know, the, these major leagues, uh, whether it's NBA, baseball, whatever, and gambling? It's funny uh, you should say that or ask me that. I, listen, if people want to people gamble, they're going to gamble. So the fact that it's legal in many states is uh, – well, I don't, whether it's a good or a bad thing, I, I don't know. But it's uh, at least there's revenue that's being taxed, and right, uh, the you know, so the you know, it does help, you know, like the economy. It, it helps, you know, social services or whatever. But uh, to be honest, when I see those ads, 
I really don't like them. I'm not saying that they should they shouldn't be running or anything like that. Um, I'm laissez-faire when it comes to things like that. But um, the way they promote it, and 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 the amount of time that they spend on it, is uh, I don't think is 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 healthy for the country. Even though I'm not against it. Um, because and I, I can say this categorically, of all the things that I've done in my life, practicing law, driving a taxi cab, waiting tables, all sorts of being, you know, trying murder cases, whatever, the hardest thing that I've ever done, and I think I've been reasonably successful, I think a lot of my listeners would, I think, would agree with that, is picking games. There are so many ways to lose. There are so many horrible beats and terrible things that happen. It's just, it's just, even even when you win, and I've had some some very good results from time to time, and I'm probably ahead of the game, lifetime. But it's hard, and most people don't win, and most people don't have the discipline to manage their money and control their impulses and doubling up to catch up and all the rest. So I sort of, I don't know, begrudge seeing it all the time. I don't really like to see it. Uh, I know that there's a lot of people that are going to get into a lot of trouble because of it. On the other hand, you know, I'm glad that it's legal. I'm glad that the, there's revenue derived from it. And uh, it's like, you know, I would, as a prosecutor, I can tell you right now, if there was no alcohol back in the 70s when I was up in that little county in Michigan, I would have had very little criminal stuff to do. <laughs> you know, people get a few drinks and they get into fights or they break into somebody's house or they do domestic violence or all sorts of stuff. But I'm not going to ban alcohol either. So I have mixed feelings about it, but I personally don't particularly like to see it on television all the time. I get you. Eddie, I uh, got to uh, go to the next guest, but I would say, I guess, to your point there, know your limits. That's what I do when I gamble. Usually it's a very small limit, like $50. I'm okay with losing money, money that I'm okay with losing 50, hundred bucks. And you had a night out at a casino in Las Vegas. And that's the way I approach it. But I know a lot of people are not disciplined and they do get in trouble. But anyway, Eddie, it was great to talk to you, man. Uh, be well. We'll talk to you down the road. We'll be right back with Andre Fernandez and Santos Perez. Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. This is Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. This is Alan Hearns with the Miami Dolphins. Shout out to Slam Radio. And now we're back with Front Page 305 on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Andre Fernandez, one of the OGs of this show. Andre, welcome to Front Page. What up? What's up, man? I, li- I like the Chicago, the band, not the city. 25 cents. That's, that's for you. I know that's one of your favorite songs, and it does kick ass. I mean, that's a yeah. great song. And uh, we also have one of the best boxing writers in the nation, Santos Perez, a young man I've known since we were both uh, about 15 years old back at Miami High. Santos, what up? How you doing, Walter? How you doing, Andre? What's up, Santos? And Miss you at those Marlins well. games. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so so the, the big news is that Andre is no longer 305, he's now a tally guy. Uh, so, but congratulations to Andre. He's working uh, for the Tallahassee Democrat, covering Florida State football and otherwise. Uh, always 305 at heart, though. Well, you know 305 that. 305 at heart, but now you're in tally, man. So, uh, 
how do you like it at Tally? And Tally, Andre is a first question. And piggyback off of that, tell us about who's going to be the starting quarterback at Florida State. That's well, first, did you see my wonderful IKEA fake kitchen back here that uh, that Frankie gave me for anyone that's watching this right now on the social media uh, pages? But um, no, your question was just like the, the overall value, like outlook for FSU. Well, I said, how do you like Tallahassee? First of all, the city, you know, that. Oh, well, yeah. Well, to, no, the city, I mean, you know, it's obviously it's much different from Miami, not just, you know, size wise, but just the atmosphere, a little, you know, a little more chill, a little more relaxed. So I've loved that part of it for sure. And yeah, I mean, getting to know FSU, I mean, it's been two months now and, you know, this team, everybody knows how, how you know, what a, you know, what, what a pit they landed in after the whole Willie Taggart era here and, and just how they're trying to rebuild and trying to get uh, better. So it's been interesting seeing the process. The good thing's been that uh, coach, coach Norvell uh, is very media friendly in the sense of he lets us watch the entirety of practice. Obviously there's conditions. You don't want to give away state secrets, that sort of thing. He doesn't want you to do that, but it is good for perspective, especially someone like me coming up here and, you know, not knowing, you know, the basics. Of, I mean, knowing some of the players, but kind of having to really get acclimated. It's been a real education on kind of where this program stands right now and going into the season, which is still very much rebuilding. I think, they're in better shape than last year in the sense of they got a full off season, which, you know, pretty much nobody really had last year with COVID, but they desperately needed one more than others because of the state that they were in. But it's still a, you know, it's still a road to go for them. I mean, I think they're, you know, their recruiting has gone well in the off season and that's important, but they're still probably a good, maybe three classes like that away from kind of getting back to the traditional competitive, you know, kind of, kind of where Miami's at right now, like that, the old FSU, you know, being more of a, of a competitor, more legit. So do you, in Tallahassee, did not have place to get uh, plantains and cuppets? Actually, there, there is cute. There is a couple Cuban restaurants. Unfortunately, one that was named after, not, not literally named after my father, but named with my father's name. It was called Carlitos. Closed down right before I moved up here. Oh, man. But er, everyone talks about one called Gord, Gordos that's up here, which, you know, if, if, if they, if a lot of the people knew you're insulting someone when you call them that, but. Well, the Gordos um, know how to eat. They know good food. That's that's a that's a good name, I think. Yeah, so. I mean that's a, that, that. But that that's a that's like a mini chain up here too. So yeah, there, there's a couple spots, but 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 not not a lot. It's not like on every corner or every other corner, like like in Miami, we have like Arreta and places like that to go to. And is a kid from UCF, the quarterback who broke his leg, is he going to be the starting quarterback? Well, they haven't officially named the the, the starter yet. They're, you know, it's still between it's basically between him and Jordan Travis, who you know, Canes fans, I'm sure everybody down there saw last year. I mean, look, if it if it came down to judging by experience, I would say it would have to be Milton. I mean, a lot of it, I think, is just physically: is he okay? Is he going to be okay to to do that? I mean, the guy hasn't played in two years, but I mean, he's looked well when he has been out there at, at practice. You know, maybe in terms of just physically handling it, that sort of thing, shown some of the leadership. So I'd say it's still probably going to be him, but it has been interesting. The fact that they just haven't really come out yet and said it. And Travis has looked good in practice. Like in terms of more, we saw he was a mobile guy. He could make plays with his feet, but he's been a better passer in the preseason. And I think that's a factor in why maybe he's pushing a little bit for that job right now. But I think in the grand scheme, I mean, if you bring in a transfer with the pedigree that Milton has and you don't start him, what does that kind of say too? So that's where my think, you know, it'd be surprising. Jordan Travis beats him out. He beats him out. Jordan Travis is a tough kid. He can run and we'll see if he really is a better passer. That's yeah. the, the bugaboo with him. But 
this is going to be because I, I, I'm trying to squeeze everything into this show. I haven't had done a show in a while. I want to have Santos in here. And I know Santos, as I mentioned, a big boxing guy. Santos, tell us uh, what the heck happened to Manny Pacquiao. What the heck? 42 years old is, uh, is, is, is what age. happened to Manny. Yeah, yeah, 42 years old. Uh, he had been uh, out, of, uh, out, of, out of boxing for two years. He's very involved with his uh, you know, with his country and uh, in politics in this country. In fact, there's talk that he's going to run for president of the Philippines. So, I mean, he has other pressing needs. And I think boxing, I mean, eventually uh, it, it catches up. I mean, 42 years old, uh, he, he faced a very hungry and uh, a fighter and, you know, in Jordanis Ugas, a Cuban fighter who lives in Miami. And, he had his moment, his opportunity to, uh, you know, show that hey, I belong in this stage as well as Manny Pacquiao, and and he won a very convincing decision Saturday night. And uh, for your Denis Ugas, hopefully this opens more opportunities for bigger bigger fights and, uh, and make his stamp in the sport. I mean, uh, who was the favorite? Very, oh no, Pacquiao was his favorite based on you know his trajectory and his his history. He's an eight-division world champion. He's going to be, obviously, the first ballot Hall of Famer when his time comes up for for for, for induction. Um, it, it's just, this, it, we see it over and over again in this sport uh, when the fighter just doesn't know when to leave for good. I mean, they have that, that thirst for another big payday. They have that thirst of the spotlight. Uh, with Pacquiao, it, it could be. I think it was more. He's he's really donated not only a lot of his time, but a lot of his his, his finances in helping out his country, and, uh, and 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 that's one one of the reasons it's been reported that he that he has he continued to fight. Now, whether this will finally convince him that it's time to hang up the gloves for good, we just. Okay, uh, Santos. I think the, the the last part there you trailed off, but let me let me go to Andre. Let's let's talk something the the sort of the three of us because uh, uh, can discuss, and that's the Marlins. Our last little topic here, Andre. Let me start with you. Um, this young outfield that they have now is there. You know, I know they're in last place, which is kind of what we thought they would be. Right, last year yeah. was a little bit of a fraud because of the pandemic. They were thirty-one and twenty-nine, and somehow made the playoffs just because. There's only a 60-game test instead of what baseball traditionally is in 162. Um, but is there for optimism? Uh, I don't know how much you've gotten to see them being up there in tally, Andre, but Brian De La Cruz has impressed with his defense especially. You've got Lewis Brinson has finally seemingly come of age, and Jesus Sanchez. Be something to give some Marlins fans hopes in, in hope in that young outfield? Yeah, I mean, there's got to be some hope because the I'm still waiting for the bats. You know, they keep talking about pitchers and like Edward Cabrera is going to make his debut finally tomorrow, it looks like. So yet another good arm. But where are the bats? And we we talked to that a ton when I was a regular on the show. And and I think Jesus Sanchez, out of all those guys that you mentioned, that to me would be the most exciting because I remember when they picked him up in the trade from the Rays, you know, another potential five-tool guy that you could put in the corners there if he picks it up as far as hitting. His bat, the way from you know from the left side translates well, like so many of them do at at uh, Lone Depot Park, and you know, the Dela Cruz kid, it's a solid. He's a solid. Uh, he's had a solid start, but they, the projection is that he's probably going to end up being ideally on a on a on a team that's contending like a fourth outfielder type, 
So he's what I like about him is more the the depth that he could bring. And then with Brinson, I mean, it's like finally you're finally seeing a sustained stretch where he's doing something. So good for him. You're happy to see that for him. He's already at 20s, 26 or 27, whoever he's at right now, age wise. You need it was getting to the point where this was it. This was the last chance. And another guy like that is Monte Harrison. We got it, it's got to come soon because he's getting to that point where he's going to get passed over by other outfield prospects if he doesn't start to show up. And I don't know how much of an opportunity he's going to get in September, but he might. Yeah, and uh, the Brian Cruz kid, I throw him in there because defensively, Andre, he's been really impressive. The most, yeah, no, he's been good yeah. by far. His speed, and he played him in right, center, and left, and he. He has a has a really strong arm. He's made all the and defense is something that comes every day. It's not going to be oh he's oh tomorrow he's a bad defender. Now he's shown he's a major league plus defender. Um, and then yeah, there are other outfielders coming on the way. Uh, JJ Blade, Blade, who's been disappointing so far. Um, you got Khan, uh, who's home runs. He does strike out a lot, but he offers a lot of power in the future. Uh, Santos, what are your thoughts on that uh, on that young outfield? Yeah, it, it's now or never, right? But again, this is the, the, the story with the Marlins. They, they trade away two established veterans in uh, Marte and Duval. And, and I, I understand his contract issues. They have to make a commitment to bring in one veteran bat and not just have him for half a season. Or uh, I think with Marte, they actually reached one season and then they traded him. With Duval, it was not even, uh, it was half a season. They need a, a veteran bat. Whether that veteran bat is is, is extending Jesus Aguilar, I think they need a second uh, veteran bat in, in that outfield. You cannot go with those three young outfielders, and it's shown since they traded Duval and and and, and Marte that the team has totally gone on a tailspin. So uh, yeah, it's great to develop and it's great, but you need that blend. You need uh, they need to uh, commit themselves to at least bring in one veteran. Not, not just for half a season or one season. I, Sounds I like you know, I was gonna say I, I agree with I agree with uh, you no doubt on the point, but I think the alarming thing is like you said the development part. If Blade ends up being a bust, that's the alarming part because that was supposed to be there in in order for them in order to do what you're saying, which is to get that veteran as a complimentary piece with those guys. Right, but right now, right. And, it's a and, little alarming and, and seeing how some of these prospects well are not panning season. out. Yeah, that is alarming. That is alarming because that day was was projected to be that bad. You're right. Yeah, I I don't see them bringing in an, a veteran outfield. I do think they will, and hope I think they should resign. I you know he's among the league leaders in our home run power, and also just just seem like a, a good dude, just infectious enthusiasm for the game. I think he's a good fit to stay. Uh, so maybe the investment is there, but I think they're going to roll with those young outfielders. Uh, and I know Andre, you got to go here in about uh, three minutes. Um, and then we'll, we'll keep talking Marlins baseball with Santos until the end of the show. But Andre, why don't you give us your projection? Because we, you mentioned pitching. What do you see the starting five? And then, and then we'll, I think they really have one right now. Those key, those key six spots. How do you see that for next year? You cut out for a second. I saw you had a starting five rotation, and what was Start the other part? Five and, and the closer, because they, they traded oh, away man. their closer. They don't really have a guy right now. I, I don't have a clue on the closer, to be honest with you. I really don't, because that, you're right. Like, I thought, you know, maybe Jimmy Garcia was going to have a chance to kind of cement that this year, and that didn't happen, and now he's gone. So I they the could way, go 20 different ways on that. But the, the rotation, wait, wait, I mean, 
the uh-huh. big other, Andre, with, with Yimi, with Yimi are, is now that he's moved out of Miami, is he going to to this effect? I said, now that he's, he's gone out of Miami, he's, he's going to change his name to Jimmy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Is it? Because he's not going to know how to pronounce Yimi. No doubt. Yeah, that was a Miami thing. But, um, yeah, no, the, the starting five, though, I mean, I, I'm still firmly think I, I mean, well, the biggest question is what's going to happen with six, though, because of the injuries. Because ideally, your top three are the Dominicans, you know, Sandy, him, and, and Edward Cabrera. And then you're looking at a rotate beyond that, a Trevor Rogers now who's about to come back pretty soon. And then a Max Meyer eventually down the road once he gets uh, works his way up there. I mean, although there's still some talk if what if he's a reliever, what if he's a starter, but he's got that potential. There's another kid to keep an eye on. He's still a little bit still has some ways to go in, in the minors. But uh, the Dax Fulton, the one that they drafted a couple of years ago, the fireballer, you know, I mean, he was coming off Tommy John. So it's going to take a little bit, but he's another guy with potential to be in there. Santos, what are your thoughts on the rotation and closer? No, it's it, 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 it's going to be a mystery who's going to close for that team. Um, uh, I think Sandy is a player they need to uh, lock up right now and at least show some uh, good faith with the fan base. Look, this is a uh, this is a picture that we can definitely have as our anchor for the next four or five years. But now here's my question: Is Sandy after the the lack of run support? We saw it again this Sunday against Cincinnati. I think his last three starts, I mean, he's given up a total of, I, I, I might be off by a run or two here, but I think he's given up five runs in, in, about, 20, in, in about 21 innings. And, uh, again, I could be off. And he has gotten, not, not, you know, more than four runs of support, I don't think. I mean, he, I think the Marlins were shut out until he, he left Sunday. Uh, they were shut out against the Braves, definitely shut out because I covered that game. So, uh, that's a, a trade that really has worked well for them. I mean, uh, uh, somebody who's followed the Cardinals for years, uh, that 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 trade really uh, they, they 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 really outsmarted St. Louis when they gave they they gave them Azuna and they got back not just Sandy they they they, they got uh, they, they got Zach Gallon who they turned around and traded for John Chisholm. So the, the starting rotation, yeah, very promising, but again. Uh, we have to go back. They gotta get some 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 uh, some offense. Uh, they gotta have some some hitters. And right now, they, they're not having that. Besides, with the exception of Aguilar, Santos has been up those for years. You're telling lock up Brian Anderson. I don't know if you're still in that camp or not, but uh, you you want to lock up these these young players. Santos, can you hear me? I, I hear you now. Yeah, there was a cutoff right there. I couldn't. I hear was you. saying that that you're big on locking up these young players. For years, you were talking about Brian Anderson. They should offer the contract extension. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know that Anderson's not had a good year. He's he's been on the injured list a couple of times. I still think he's a he's a young player and he can really really develop. And I mean, he's not going to be uh, an elite player, but I think he's a player that you should keep and. Uh, uh, you need somebody that to show the fan base. Say we're not. Uh, get, get, as soon as these guys are ready to hit free agency, we're going to get rid of them. I mean, it's, it, it, this is the the, the traditional uh, story. Sadly, the, 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 it keeps happening again, over and over again with this franchise. With the, whether it's this ownership, the previous t- uh, three ownerships, uh, they just d- don't keep their players. And, and uh, when they do pick up a veteran, you know, it's it's usually a rental, like they did with Marte last year. And uh, they need to show. I mean, Tampa Bay is pretty much the same way. I mean, Tampa Bay 
has a way of developing players, and, and, and they have become very successful. Now, what, are they going to follow that, that, that model, the Tampa Bay model? I don't think so, because I think Miami, the Marlins, really want to uh, develop starting pitching, which I don't see that with Tampa. No, I mean, the Marlins, and, and when Andrew was given a breakdown of the starting pitchers, he forgot to mention Pablo Lopez. That's how loaded, potentially, it, you know, everything really comes down to injuries, too, if, if they're all healthy. So you're talking about Sixto Sanchez, to me, is actually the ace of that team from what I've seen. I would take him over Sandy. Uh, then yeah. you have then you have Sandy, you have Lopez, you have Rodgers. I mean, right there, that's four proven guys in the major leagues. Um, and then you have... Cabrera, who's about to make his debut, that's five. And then you have Max Meyer, who has their great reports on him. And Andre didn't mention a kid named Jake Eater is tearing it up in in double A. And he might be the minor league player of the year for the Marlins this year is between him and Max Meyer. So that's an overabundance of pitching talent. I'm not disagreeing with you, Santos, that they do need to uh, more on the offensive side. But we've seen teams – uh, win with, with pitching and defense and that type of thing. And I do think another guy, Santos, that if you want to consider tying up in a year or two, if this turns out to be for real, is Jazz Chisholm. Um, I yeah. like his combination of speed and power. Um, that's pretty rare. Uh, you, you just don't see that. Um, there's really nobody else on this roster that has that much pop and that much speed. You know, you have Sierra who can run, can't hit for power. You have, you know, Aguilar, who can hit for power, can't run. So, I think. And not only that, he's a left-handed bat, which is always, you're going to need left-handed power. I mean, and, 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 and there, 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 there. Yeah, I, I can't hear Santos anymore, but this has been a great show. Just, <laughs> I think we're going to wrap it up. Frankie, uh, we'll try next time. And uh, thank We'll be back next week. Sounds good to me. Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. This is Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. The views and opinions expressed on Front Page 305 are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio.